Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please, grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together and and, uh, we have the ability to fellowship with like-minded believers. And now as we study... Um, the satanic warfare that's going on. Um, I ask that you would give us wisdom and give us knowledge. Pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been studying this for nearly a year, okay? And I, I hope, you know, this hasn't scared you, but it has prepared you for a lot of things that go on in the satanic realm. Unfortunately, there's other people that don't feel the same. And so I've been, I've spoke at other conferences and whatnot. And at those conferences, when I do de- do uh, a, uh, a presentation on demonology, or I talk about, you know, the, 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 the uptick in demon activity that we have seen and share some of the stories that I have dealt with and what other people are constantly telling us from the internet and what they're dealing with, um, that's not readily accepted. So a lot of times they'll take my program down um, that I gave at their conference because people complain that it scares them. Yeah, so the pastors will take it down. Now, what does it say about the pastor when I'm coming there and I'm giving you verifiable stories and I'm telling you exactly what Scripture says about what's happening and you, because you think that ignorance is protection, and you take down that information, I want to say to that pastor, hey, man, do you understand that after I gave my presentation, about 25 people lined up from your congregation telling me about all the paranormal activity that was happening in your congregation? And that you're in an area that has high demonic activity? You want to ignore that, huh? So do you understand what's happening here? It's not just prophecy. It's all the hard-hitting issues that make people uncomfortable that they don't want to hear. You're used to it. You're used to it, right? And But but here's the thing. it The information prepares you. For me to not tell you what's really happening on the ground puts you in ignorance, and then you don't know how to fight a battle. That's insane. And I'm watching this, so it's not... People are very uncomfortable with talking about spiritual warfare. So here's my question. What do you think the whole armor was for? What do you think all these, these, these things that you saw in the Bible and the New Testament were for? They were for warnings of believers of this will get you in trouble if you do X, Y, and Z, and this is how the demonic realm work. So this is the thing that baffles me. I'm baffled by pastors who won't preach the entire counsel of God. I'm baffled by pastors that won't teach prophecy or current events. And I'm baffled that that pastors that won't teach spiritual warfare. You tell me why. What do you think? Lose people? Yeah. It's controversial. They're not up to the task. They're lukewarm. They're of this world. They love the world. 
the compromise. So yeah, you're all right. I mean, it, it's it's a, all these variables that we're seeing. And here, here's the thing. Like I said about prophecy, we're in the most prophetic time period and the convergence of events are happening and no one's talking about it. And then at the same time, you can testify to all the pastors that are handling our emails and handling the phone calls that come in from the outside online group and ask them how much demonic activity is going on. And the thing about it is, it is at an all-time high than we have ever seen in the church age, and yet no one's talking about it. No one's even discussing it. So again, I, I wanted to say that because I got to commend you. You've stuck with me for a whole year in listening to this, but I'm proud that you did because now you know what to look for. You are prepared and you can, you can handle it because uh, you know how Satan works. So kudos to you and kudos to you having the character not to be afraid, but to take it on and deal with it. And it's a reality. So God bless you in that. Anyway, we're still dealing with Satan's work in relationship to unbelievers. I think we stopped with the him having power over death over the unbeliever. Yeah. Did we get to Satan causes suffering and oppression? No. Okay. So we need to start there then. Okay. The, the reality then is that these spirit creatures that God created, these fallen angels and even demons as well, can affect the physical world. They have the ability to affect things. As you can see in Job, Satan can affect weather. Um, he afflicts Job with illness. And uh, by the way, uh, that's reported by many people who have been demonized that they had an afflicted illness put on them and things happen. Sometimes mental illness is associated with demonization uh, not all the time. You have to figure that out. And so um, with demonization, um, they can afflict illness or mental illness. Now, that tells you how powerful these creatures are in people. It tells you that they can affect things in the physical realm. Now, one of the things I, I've mentioned before, and when you start really getting into things, and deep into things is what the 1,500-page Pentagon report came out about, about our U.S. military engaging with um, the so-called aliens, right? But we know the aliens are demons, okay, or fallen angels. And in the report, it showed that the, the pilots, uh, uh, some of the pilots, some of the people that had in a, these encounters with uh, UFOs or whatever and got close to them suffered physical ailments, after being exposed to them, okay? And there was a lot of things in that report. And again, this is not some Yahoo off the street saying, I saw an alien and he did this to me. These are military guys that the Pentagon rec recorded and they were having physical problems after the encounter with the alien. Now, in some of the reports, um, they said that, you know, I, I shared this with you, that some of the reports said that some of the military women were pregnant and then they ended up not being pregnant. And in every, every like I've mentioned before, like in MIT's uh, study of alien abductions, the common thread is they were always meth messing with the reproductive system of the human beings that they were abducting. 
Uh, and now these are not aliens; these are demons or fallen angels doing the abduction, obviously. Uh, but why? Why is that? Why are they always tampering with genetics and 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 they're tampering with uh, creation and life? Why is that such a focus for them? Can you take a guess? Well, number one, they can't reproduce. But go ahead. Breeding hybrids. What is that? You know, that's Genesis six. So what, what? So why is it that the, the Pentagon report says that some of these women were pregnant and then no longer did they miscarriage or whatever? Well, the women didn't report miscarriage. The women report being uh, pregnant and then going back and having an ultrasound and the pregnancy was gone. Now, what is that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not making that up. The pit, that's in the Pentagon report. That's not just some Yahoo out here. That's the Pentagon's report. And so at the end of the day, you start realizing the capabilities of fallen angels, Satan, demons, that they can have an effect on the physical realm. And so what we call that creature is not only a spirit creature, but a multi-dimensional creature. Okay, And because fallen angels or even angels themselves are multidimensional, that gives them the ability to go back and forth from the spiritual realm into the physical realm. That's why they are appearing on the Navy's radar. And the radar is being picked up and then all of a sudden they disappear. But they're going like, you know, 37,000 miles an hour and stopping on a dime and doing a right angle turn and going up and down in the water, whatever, which is not physical and not possible in the physical realm. So that lends its support to it being obviously a multidimensional creature. Okay, what's the point about this? The point is they can cause physical ailments on people. Now, here's the thing. Many times you won't know if someone's having that problem, but the cue would be if the person's messing around with the occult or is in the occult. And so some of the ailments might be on them because of the being in the occult. So I'll give you an example. They can do this temporarily or they can do it long term. Just depends on what the demons and fallen angels want to do. So, for instance, I've dealt with people that uh, were demon possessed. And in dealing with them, when I tried to share the gospel with them and I was trying to tell the truth to them, what the demon inside would do would give them a severe headache so severe that the individual wanted to vomit it was that like like 10 times a migraine you know what i mean and it would and and some of the reports that uh, people have when uh, they're being affected like this they feel like a band is being tied around their head and that band is squeezed and their their head feels like that severe pain that's and then it, and then once what I noticed is that once I would stop and stop giving the truth out, then the release of that ailment would stop on the individual. And she wouldn't feel any more pain. But then when I went back at it, boom, the pain went down. And the pain was being inflicted to cause her not to hear me. That's what was happening. So I saw in front of my very face a temporary physical ailment put on the individual, a so severe migraine that she couldn't even listen to me and wanted to puke, okay? So you have that. 
Now, I've seen in demon possession other things that occur in the in, in the individual to where the demon is messing with their their senses and their sense of smell and things of that nature. So, on one occasion, in dealing with a demon possessed, um, I would uh, open up my Bible like this in front of the person. And they would say, you, you have to close that because it's making me nauseous. It, it smells like death. And so it, it, she could smell or they were messing with her, you know, her ability to smell things or whatever. And every time I opened it, they made her smell death as she was opening it. I thought it was kind of funny in one sense because um, the scriptures don't say that the the, the Bible has this, uh, has the smell of death, but it says that you and I have the stench of death on us. Did you know that? To those who are perishing, Paul says, we are the stench of death. I thought I thought it was kind of weird. Maybe there was a correlation. I don't know. But my point is, they were able to mess with her sense of smell to disrupt her listening to me open the Bible and giving it to her. So when you see that firsthand, then you realize when it, Satan can cause suffering and oppression, then you absolutely know that they can do it. And it's, it verifies what the Word of God says. It is real deal stuff. So some people will be sick. Some people... Uh, you know, for a long, long-term period. Um, and again, they can experience a healing, but the healing typically is, you know, it's not a, a supernatural healing from God. It's just the demon or the fallen angel lifting the affliction upon the, off the person in that sense. So you see that in Job, and most people think, well, that happened a long time ago. That doesn't happen anymore. Yes, it does. It does happen. And it happens quite frequently where people are sick because of messing with the occult or whatnot. Um, that being the case, this is the key thing on mental illness that psychiatrists won't address. Um, I'm not saying every mental illness is tied to demonic oppression. It's not. But there are cases where the demon oppression has caused the mental illness. Now, here's the thing. How would you deal with that? Well, what I've advised my staff to deal with when they encounter something like that is you first eliminate the medical first, and then that will tell you how much demonization the person has. So the, the, you have to attack the physical first because it could just simply be mental illness, okay? But that will, so if they get the mental illness straightened out or whatever on meds or whatever it needs to be, then you can work on a, on a level playing field and assess how much demonic is involved in this. And that's my recommendation to the staff. That's my recommendation to you if you have to deal with people like this or anyone online. You start with the medical first. You have to do a process of elimination to find out how demonization it is. Now, for instance, if you go through the medical 
and they're still having major problems and they're supposed to be getting all the help they can get and the medications and they're still having problems, then you can definitely see there's something there. And obviously you would go through the whole regime of how, how are you involved in the occult? Are your parents involved in the occult? What, you know, what's the entrance points for that? And then you have to find a way to get that entrance points out of them. Most of the time you'll see, especially with young kids, it's their family. Their family is, is bringing in uh, the demon. How so? Because what the family has done is basically made a contract with one of the demons or multiple demons. And because of that, that gives the demons free access. And uh, uh, I guess, what do you want to call it? Um, uh, a license, uh, the right in the spiritual realm to start inflect, influencing the children. That's why you'll hear of reports of young children having demonic encounters and there, obviously the child is not involved in the occult. So I uh, was talking to a lady one time in Vegas and um, she was having demonic encounters, but not with her, but with her child. And the child was um, telling her stories of, you know, of a made up friend and this and that. And a lot of kids do that, but this was different. Um, the child could see this, this playmate. And one time she said that the child came up to her and they were going to eat dinner at the table. And the child uh, asked, hey, um, can my my friend, I don't know what the friend's name was, I don't know, Bob or something. Um, can Bob join us for dinner? And she looked at, well, you know, she's thinking this is a figment of her imagination as a play friend. And she goes, uh, yeah, I guess. So where is Bob? And he goes, he's right there. He's looking at us in the corner. He's standing right there. That's where he always stays. And she, she was like, is my kid delusional? And I said, I said, well, let's do some investigation just a little bit while we're here. I said, so let me ask you this first question. Anyone involved in your life and in your house involved in the occult? And first of all, she said, no, 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 no. And then we just kept probing. Well, I go, somebody's dealing with something. Otherwise, it wouldn't be affecting the, the child. And I mean, it went beyond like asking the thing to dinner. It was like following the kid around and in his room and all this other stuff kind of thing. So I said, uh, I said, so uh, anyone, so I, I said, well, there has to be an entry point. Is he around any relatives or something? Obviously, you know, he's not dabbling in the occult. Then she admitted. She goes, it's my boyfriend. She goes, he's, he's messing with the Ouija boards and he does tarot cards or, or something like that involved in the occult. I said, bingo, you found your culprit. I said, so in order to protect your child, you need to break it off with this boyfriend of yours and, and kick him out of the house because that's another problem too, which we're not going to talk about at this point. <laughs> so... That was my admonition to her, but but what, what was the what was my point? My point is, you had a guy in the house messing with the occult, and it gave the demons permission to start demonizing the child. Now you say that's unfair. Look, I don't make up the rules, but there are rules in the spiritual realm that when someone's messing with the occult. And you invite that into your house and you say, well, he's my cousin. I don't want to treat him bad. And he brings that in. You are, you are in essence, giving permission to be demonized. Okay. Or anything like that. Occultic things. 
Um, someone brought up a good point, um, you know, today in an email about idols and that they go all over the place and they go into these restaurants and they go get a pedicure or a manicure. And inside of these manicure and pedicure places are idols all over the place. Have you ever seen that? Okay. I used to go into one, you know, I'd get a teriyaki bowl in one of these places I can't remember. And I would look up and there's an idol and there's fruit and vegetables, whatever being given to the idol. That's full-blown idolatry, guys. And, 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 you know, be careful of going into places like that. If you see idols in there, that's not a place to be. Well, they, they, Brandon, you don't understand. They had the best manicure there. Well, if you like getting a manicure with idols around you, then go ahead. But at the end of the day, if you know something's happening or you allow something, you don't know what gives them permission into your life to start demonizing you. If a gal dating a guy who's in the occult starts demons affecting her son, that's a pretty wide and broad license to go affect the child that's not even involved in the situation. So understand the rules in the spiritual realm are very different than what you and I, because the, 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 the parent could say, well, I never invited demons into my life. I never sat down there and had a seance or anything. Yeah, but the spiritual world works differently. You don't know how much is tacit approval that gives them license to do that to little kids that gets demonized. So you have to check that. You have to be very, very careful. And that's why, you know, idolatry is a big deal because it, 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 there's demons behind every idolatry. So when you go into these places, and I, I guess it's probably a good warning uh, if you see that kind of junk, don't go in there. Not that it's going to jump on you, but behind an idol, as Paul said, is a demon. There's something behind it. And I don't know if I, I, you know, I want to be that close to that when I see it. So just a heads up about that, because you just don't know how far a demon can go and saying, bingo, he's given, he or she has given me tacit approval. I'm in. And then the person starts getting harassed. Um, the other thing, you know, I've noted um, other people are having People over for dinner and stuff like that. I'll get to, let me finish the story. I'll be right there. People were having people over for dinner. And the people they had over for dinner were, you know, saying, hey, you know, there's some, you know, we see ghosts in our house and stuff like that. And, oh, okay, uh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, maybe it's demons or whatever. And they, they had this, this conversation. But they kept inviting them over for dinner. Kept the relationship going. Do you know what happened? They started getting demonized. Now, here's what I, I know what you're going to say. Well, when did they allow this to come into their house? They allowed it apparently in the spiritual realm by keep inviting people involved in the occult and having paranormal activity. And that, that created, whenever it happened, a license for them to do that, the right to do that. So I don't know. See, that's, where's the line? Is it once? Is it twice? Is it five times? I don't know. I don't know what gives tacit approval. I do know this, repeated actions when you know better get you in that at some point in time. When you know better. And the key is, I would say this, when you know better, it's one thing to be ignorant. 
But it's one thing to fully know what you, what's happening. Say, hey, these these my my cousin uh, Jimmy over here, man. I know he's messed up, but you know we want to show him the love of Christ. When you're dealing with demonic people, it ain't the same rules anymore. You understand? Yeah, it's 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 they've went they've went they plunged. At that point. All bets are off, okay? I'm not saying don't shatter the gospel, because I have with them, but you you got to keep a certain amount of distance. Otherwise, it will follow you home, okay? So you keep your certain amount of distance. You share the gospel. If they don't accept it, then you move on. If they don't renounce the demonic activity, then stop and move on. You can warn them. You can tell them the truth. You need to do that. But then if they don't do it, stay away. Absolutely stay away because you will bring that home with you. And I can tell you how many families were dealing with their adult children and that was happening. And guess what? The demon jumped to them. Okay. Can you expound on the Pokemon Pokemon aspect in the home with these little kids that have no idea that it's a pocket demon? How do we approach that? Uh, and the causes that it can have, um, and then whatever other video game. I don't play them. I think they're all evil. But how do we connect there with those of our family that does? And if you can expound on those things, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, that's a good. That's a hard one. Um, convincing people of the spiritual realm is one of the most difficult things to do because they don't really believe it happens. Um, and, and so the first thing is what I start with, instead of going to the video game thing, cause they're going to think you're crazy. Okay. They're not going to, they don't know Pokemon means pocket demons. They have no idea about that. So the first thing I start with is, do you believe in the supernatural? So I've got to get a base of understanding first when I'm dialoguing with the person, do they believe in the supernatural? So if they tell me, I don't believe anything supernatural, then okay. Then, then how can I go even further and tell them about a supernatural realm of, of creatures that they can't see that are invisible that can have an effect on them? So there's where I start from. I start with the base of foundation, that, 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 that foundation is, do you believe in supernatural? So then if they say, well, no, then I would, project, I would go a little further. And again, this is a, dependent on the person. I would say... So um, there's a lot of things that we believe in that you can't see. So everything is based on you physically experiencing something. Uh, yeah, I said, well, there's other things that you can experience that are not physical, like your mind. Tell me where your mind is located at. They'll usually point to their brain, but the brain is different than the mind. The mind is a spiritual aspect. Uh, I'll ask them about how do you, how do you conceive of... of uh, how do you have imagination and you can conceive of things that don't exist? How can you do that? Um, because if you can conceive of things that don't exist, that means that your mind can project out beyond the physical environment that you're in, which that's how we're made. We're spiritual creatures in a physical body and, and we're a body-soul unity. So I start there. So my thing is it's like I deal with a Catholic. I'm not going to deal with the Catholic faith. and I'm not going to deal with the Pope. I'm going to deal with Jesus. So you have to know in how, to, how to go at it uh, because if I just go and tell a kid, hey, man, your Pokemon games are demonic, they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. 
So I got to start and I got to go through the side door first. And the side door first is the basis. If I could get them to, to understand there's a spiritual realm and there's fallen angels then, and there's fallen demons, then I can jump to Pokemon. But if I, I, I can't make the leap from here to there without laying a foundation. So that's why that kind of conversation uh, is probably a, a longer conversation, more drawn out and more explanation before you get to the topic at hand. And if you can get from the, the foundation to there, you have a much better success in, in convincing the individual that what you're doing is wrong. Now, you can come out and say somebody to a kid or whoever, hey, that Pokemon thing is demonic and wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, you might get some people to listen to you, but the majority are not going to listen to you. Because the first thing they're going to say is, why? Well, that's a pocket demon. So what? What is a demon? It's just an animation, animation a cartoon thing. You know what I'm saying? You've got to know how to argue correctly. And then if you open that up, you can you can bust loose whatever stronghold they're dealing with, whether it's video games or if it's, you know, something they're doing, because my the way I've uh, in, in understanding humans. From the Bible's perspective. Is because because humans have a sin nature. They work and operate and manage life based on if they see it as helping them. So you have to, in your argumentation with unbelievers, convince them that what you're saying, this truth that you're giving, is going to enrich their lives or save them or prevent them from destruction or whatever. Or you can do the turn and burn, but the, I, I've noticed the turn and burn doesn't work too well with people. I've tried it. Doesn't work. Yeah. Right here? Yeah, go for it. So uh, my my son brought uh, some Pokemon cards from my Project Learn, and I explained to him Good. what it is. And I said, you know, because like all all kids crazies are about it. They just yeah. were happy to to get some exchange and like yeah, that. Sure. And I said, you know, I explained him, and I said, you know, you have much bigger powers than uh, yeah. in in Christ. So just tear them up and threw in trash can, and and he did it and was happy that. Good. And uh, we found out now that uh, my husband was searching what can be like alternative to those cards, yeah. and he found. It's called Animo. Animo. Okay. And it has verse Bible. Good. Uh, yes. Good. So uh, he's happy he got those and uh, just. Yeah. Uh, that's great. That's what alternative to those cards. I remember that somebody was asking one time what uh, if somebody can make something new for for kids that way. So we found out about that. <laughs> that's good. Good for you, man. And, and as you and that that conversation is different because. That's a mom to a child. There's already an established bond and relation. When I'm talking about Pokemon to out, I'm talking about like some person you've never met and you're trying to convince them. But when you, when you have a, already a built relationship, then yeah, use that relationship for that to explain it. I'm just, my, my, my thing was having no relationship with somebody. So good point, good point, excellent. And find a replacement is, is correct. You have to find a replacement. Take and replace is the principle. Where am I at? Okay. 
We have an internet question. They were asking, how do you renounce demons? Okay. Um, first of all, the person has to find the entry point. That's first. You got to find the entry point where the demon is hitting that with a foothold. Okay. Once you establish where the foothold is, the first thing you have to do is repent of, of that foothold, of where that entrance is. And the entrance could be drugs, alcohol, sex. The entrance could be anger. It could be anything. The, any sin that the believer is doing can be the entrance points. Also, other entry points are untreated, uh, what do you want to call it? Unhealed parts of us in our soul that are unhealed. That actually can be an entry point and a foothold to control us through past pain, past trauma, and they will take that and use it to control us through past pain and past trauma. So that's another entry point. So the first thing is you must find the entry point. Now, sometimes the entry point's not on you or in you. It's your environment, okay? So you, you have to first start with the environment. Now, what do I mean? Well, if you're walking into an environment that's really, really occultic, you're asking for it. That could become a foothold itself. So I talked to a lady that was uh, in an, an area where there was an Indian reservation, okay? Indians typically are what? Are animists, right? They worship the, the rock, the tree, whatever, the sky god, all this other stuff, the eagle god, whatever, okay? It's rank idolatry, okay, in American Indianism. American Indian is is no different than the Aztecs and the Mayans, but they migrated over the Bering Strait from from Asia, from the we consider the Soviet or sorry Russia and China, and came all the way from the Tower of Babel and came into the Americas through the Bering Strait. But all of them, all the way down into South America, have a common ancestor, and it is the Tower of Babel, and it is the worship of fallen angels and creatures, and that so. The, the, the American Indian, still today, unless they've come to faith in the Messiah or whatever, is still embroiled in this rank idolatry and paganism. Okay. So she worked in a reservation. Okay. So she told me this, that when she was driving, she, when she crossed the line into the reservation, she immediately felt a darkness and an oppression in the reservation, okay? Then she would work there at, the, I guess, one of the offices or something like that. And as she worked there, and she's a Christian, she said all kinds of paranormal activity were happening. Like doors would shut and close and open and things were going all crazy. You know, it's like some type, some type of poltergeist funhouse. And he was going all crazy. She says, I don't know how long I can work here. I don't like, I don't, I wouldn't stay one day if, if things were happening like that. But I guess she endured, but she finally says, I can't take it anymore. And she finally had to leave it after a while. But she said, coming out of the reservation and into, you know, right where the border was, she could just feel like something had lifted off of her. Um, and, and so, that's so one of the things you have to realize. What environment I am I in? Okay, am I am I putting myself in an environment that has that kind of activity going on? Well, don't stay there. That's when you get out. 
Okay, that's a clear indication of getting out. So footholds, environment, and then idols. Okay, and idols could be anything, really. Um, you know, people, you know, they, they go to Home Depot and they put a Buddha statue in their, their garden. That's an idol. You're going to bring a demon. Um, other things, you know, things you pick up from other countries and bring it in. You don't even know it. It's an idol. Um, and so you look there. Okay, so there, there's, you find the entry point. Okay, it's either inside me, it's in my environment, or it's an idol that I have in my house or around me, or I'm associated with somebody that's in the occult, okay? So then I must repent of that. You confess it, but you must repent. Repenting is a big deal for the believer. And that means that I'm stopping doing this. Okay, but what if the stopping of doing this means I have to cut off a relationship with somebody? then you do it. Because if you keep that relationship going and you know like, hey, he's a Satanist, but I know he's my brother. What are you supposed to do? Continue the relationship? No, you stop the relationship with your brother or sister or mom or dad or whoever's involved. I had a lot of people in Seattle tell me that their parents were full-blown witches. Full-blown witches. Okay, if my mom and dad's a witch, I ain't dealing with them anymore. I'm done. I'll tell them the truth, and then that's it. But I ain't going over to their house to have a witch Christmas or a, or a witch Thanksgiving or something like that. We're not doing that. So, so you, in, in your repentance, you would have to cut that relationship off, right? If it's an idol, you smash it and burn it. If it's inside you, if you have a foothold, you need to get that healed. You need to get that confessed and healed and repented of. And then now it's come to renouncing. Renouncing is the thing that typically gets left out because it's not normal in our day-to-day practice when we're confessing our sins to the Father, right? It says, confess those sins and faithful and just to forgive you of those sins. But with demonic activity, what we have seen and understand is that the, 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 the activity needs to be renounced publicly, publicly, not in your head, not in a silent prayer. And why do I say publicly? Why not just do it in your head? You need the demons to hear that you're breaking the contract. And that's what renouncing is. It is a breaking of the contract that someone made for you or you made yourself. Now you wouldn't be, well, am I like, you know, uh, I never sat down and had a deal with the devil, Brandon. No, you didn't have to do that. You did it by tacitly approving whatever you were doing. So let's say alcoholism. If someone don't, doesn't repent of alcoholism and they keep going deeper and deep, it can open them up to the demonic and the demonic will control them. Okay, so so when you start having demonic activity in alcoholism, so not only does the person need to quit alcohol, but if a, a demon has got a foothold in it, then that person needs to renounce that contract or that that activity where they have allowed demonic uh, demon sorry demonization to happen to them. They have to renounce it. But what if they don't? What if they don't renounce it? then the contract hasn't been broken. 
And so they will keep getting demonized as a believer, even though they have repented and confessed. You have to do the renouncing. And how? here's the thing. Well, Brandon, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not even involved in that lifestyle. But have you renounced it publicly? Well, no. And here's the thing. How many times will I have to renounce it? Because I renounce it and it's still happening to me. You keep renouncing it and resisting it until it stops. The deeper you were in it requires the longer renouncing and resisting. That's why it's taken a long time. They have a foothold. And the longer you were in it, the more that foothold got deeper and deeper in your soul. So it takes you resisting until the point that they stop. It takes you renouncing to the point that they stop. And that's how you break the contract. And now I'm, I'm discussing laws in the spiritual realm, okay? But that's what we find out in dealing with people who have been demon-possessed and all the case studies that I've read and all the books and seminary that I read on demonology and Satanology, they get a contract going because somebody opens themselves up or in your family or whatever, idolatry, whatever, and that makes the contract. And they have permission then to terrorize that individual at that point. And here's the thing. They know full well what rights they have. So sometimes, and I don't advocate it, some, some guys who have dealt with a demon-possessed person will ask them, well, why, what right do you have over this person? And the demon will explain it's through pornography or it's, it's through drugs or it's this. And then the demon will reveal what right they have over that person. And until that person repents and renounces, that demon ain't leaving. That demon ain't leaving. So, so a good question from the internet, but the renouncing part is a major aspect. Merrill Unger, in his book, what, what Demons Can Do to Saints, he notes that in chapter 12 of that book. You can read that book on it. And he's like the foremost expert on demonology. He was a Dallas theological uh, professor there, but he was, he's, the, he's the main guy you go to for demonology. And so one of the big aspects is renouncing. Questions, comments. Go ahead, Christian. <coughs> so I forget the husband and wife that the Conjuring movies are based off of. But uh -huh. my question is, where do they get their authority? Because I know they're Catholic, and I believe that the wife is a self-proclaimed clairvoyant and, like, never renounced it. And so the, who has the authority? The well, Catholic you're talking about? Yeah, the they're both Catholic. I think they converted to Catholicism, and then they went around doing their whatever they do in the movies where they go out and they go and, and do, they cast out demons, essentially. But they're Catholic, and then they have, I think they had, like, priests and stuff that would go with them. So where's their authority? Then then another part of my question would be, like, Good question. Uh, the Annab Annabelle doll that they have uh, in the museum where it supposedly kills everybody. Like, how do you deal with items? And how do items play into it, too? Well, the, the demon can use items, and the, uh, the item thing becomes an idol. And the demon will use that. Think, think about what happened. A, a demon or a fallen angel can actually turn something good into an idol. Do we have a biblical record of that? What did the demons do to Israel and turned a good 
relic into an idol, and then Hezekiah had to destroy it. The bronze serpent that Moses had made turned into an idol, and then Hezekiah has to destroy it because it turned into a demonic worshiping thing, and it was destroyed. He had to. He had to. So what I'm saying is whether it's an Annabelle or it's the serpent on the, on the stick that Moses made, they'll turn anything into a worshiping device. Now, back to the Catholic thing. Good question. The Catholics typically, like in America, have about 40, I think there's about 45 to 47 exorcists in the United States. Now, they have exorcists all over the, the, you know, the world, but I think there's about 47 in the United States that are experts on, on this. Now, here's the thing. We know, according to Catholic doctrine, that they believe in a works-based salvation. So how can an unbeliever cast out demons from a Catholic perspective, because they have plenty of, of evidence that they, they track that they've been able to do this all through Christendom, right? They were able to do this. Also remember the Pharisees were able to cast out demons as well. And Jesus notes that, and I think it's that's in Matthew chapter 12. How did the Pharisees, who were unbelievers, cast out demons? And the same is asked about the Catholic priest. How can a Catholic priest, who believes in a works-based salvation, which would imply that he's not saved, still be able to cast out demons? Anybody have any idea? Back there? Where am I at? Let's go right back there, and then uh, you got a Mike, and then to Michael and Stephen back there. Demons were doing it. The demons were doing it. The demons were doing it. Very possible. Very possible. Very possible. What is the one name that stops alien abductions? Oh. Keep that thinking. Go ahead, Michael. You had a... I was trying to think why he took my answer. Did I take your answer? Yeah. I was... Here's what you, what you have to understand. Wait, Chris, you got Chris something? We got two mics or just one mic tonight. Oh, there it is. I'm sorry, I missed you. I didn't see you. I'll get you there. Do they want to get to it? <clears throat> uh, demons or fallen angels associated with the Catholic Church that are in on it, so to speak? Maybe. Maybe they're in on it. Pastor, at what point does Matthew seventeen twenty one come into play um, in terms of fasting and renouncing demons and on particular demons, not every demon, but yes, on particular demons, there's a certain demon that has to have fasting and prayer to get them out. You're right, and that's what happens sometimes when the demon is ordered out and they won't leave. Then something else needs to happen. So you you're on that that you're there you're there you're there. So keep that in mind, okay, guys. There's a part two, and also what what do gnomes? Um, what do you know about gnomes? Um, or just like gnomes and fairies, they're nothing but medieval traditions. What represent spirit creatures? 
See, so it's so like in our day and time, what the demons are masquerading as now is not gnomes and trolls and those who live under the bridge. They're masquerading as aliens now. So in the Middle Ages, to scare the people of that day, you would masquerade as gnomes, trolls, fairies, those kinds of things that we now consider mythical creatures type of thing. That is really what they were afraid of. So the demons would actually take on that to scare people. Now, here's the principle. The demons or the fallen angels will shapeshift into whatever scares that culture, right? So they're not going to shapeshift into a troll anymore because everybody, people are dressing up for Halloween like a troll. They're not even afraid of that. But what are they afraid of? Space buddies. Right? They're afraid of space buddies. So the gnomes and trolls, what that is, is a leftover from how they impersonated evil creatures in that day to scare them. That's a, that's a leftover. Yeah. Bill. So if the Catholicism is a cult, the, power, the name of Jesus says power, no matter who uses those powers. And if the Catholicism is using the name of Jesus to throw out demons, and in essence, they're showing the power they have to draw other people into their cult by twisting the truth. True. But now you hit on the, the main issue. The name of Jesus is the power. No matter ah, what the authority of the name of Jesus. The reason the Pharisees could cast out demons, they were doing it in the, in the, in the uh, name of Yahweh. They wouldn't use Yahweh per se. They would use Hashem, the name. Hashem is Hebrew for the name. And they would cast out in the name of Yahweh, or a Hashem, they would say, the demons out. And the, the, the typical Pharisaical way of casting out a demon was they got the demon's name, they found out what right the demon had on the person, and then they would cast it out. And it worked. Because Jesus refers to in Matthew 12, does, don't, don't some of you cast out demons? Why are you getting on to me for casting out demons? You guys do it. I'm doing it now. What's the big deal? Right? Now go to a Catholic priest. A Catholic priest who believes that you, you, know, you, know, you have to work and be saved is using the authority of the name when he's casting out demons. And it's the authority of the name, it's the blood of Christ that makes the demons shudder in fear, even if an unbeliever is using the name. Because the name, according to Scripture, has been exalted above all names. There is power in the name of Jesus. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with Pastor Brandon's Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Discipleship. It's a catalog of all Pastor Brandon's discipleship lessons spanning the last 10 years and onward. If you enjoy this message and would like to hear them, 
please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.